Well, as I've been thinking about uh, being a people of a passion about Jesus and about God's Word, um, I, I was thrilled to discover as I, as I felt like God was leading me into this series in Colossians, uh, and, and as I began to delve into that and look at the whole book uh, this week of Colossians, uh, that to discover that the theme of the book is really about making Christ the word is preeminent or the most important thing in our lives. And uh, so I'm kind of excited that I get to spend some weeks here uh, walking through this book with you and and looking at Colossians and learning from that. And today I'm not actually working through uh, a text of scripture in it, but I kind of want to give you an overview of the whole book and what it's about. And I want to just start... Um, this morning by looking at the first two verses just in terms of a introduction to the book. Paul writes, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people at Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. Now, First of all, we know from that that Paul is the author. There are some books in the New Testament that we think he wrote, but we're not absolutely certain. This is one where Paul says, I wrote this with Timothy's help. And so he lays that out for us and he writes it to the, to the people of Colossae and, uh, and calls them holy people and all of that. And he says he writes it by the will of God. And so even as he was writing this letter, he knew that he had been directed, that it was God's will that he should write this letter to the church at Colossae. Now, the date is somewhere around 30 years after the resurrection. So the Apostle Paul's been about 30 years in ministry about this time, a little bit less than that, but somewhere along in there, he's he's made his three Um, missionary journeys and planted a lot of churches and now he finds himself in his first imprisonment in Rome. And so he is in jail, he's in Rome and looking towards the end of his life and he's using that opportunity in prison to write letters to all the churches that he planted and started. And so this is one of those letters, even though he did not start the church at Colossae, and he had never visited it. Um, but he, he is writing this letter to them. He writes this letter at the same time that he writes Ephesians and Philippians uh, there in that first imprisonment. And um, it's kind of interesting that if you were to compare Ephesians and Colossians, they are very similar. 75 of the 90, 78 of the 95 verses in Colossians, you can almost find matches for in the book of Ephesians. Now, the two books have different themes, but much of the same content. Ephesians is about um, the body of Christ. And that's you and I, the church. Colossians is about the head of the church. Who's the boss of the church? Who's the most important one in the church? And that is Christ. And so that's kind of the emphasis there. Now, when we go to looking at the theme of this book of Colossians, 
Um, it is about the fact that Christ is preeminent, that he is the most important um, person, the most important um, thing that should be to the church and should be for each one of us, that he is sovereign, that he's in control, that he is sufficient in all things. And one of the very important things that doesn't strike us as being all that important, but you'll understand in a few minutes why it was important in Colossae, one of the very important things that Paul says in this letter is that everything that you can find in God the Father can be found in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you and I know Christ and we have a relationship with Him, we have everything there that we need to know God the Father. And that's one of the emphasis that you will find here in uh, this book in, in uh, Colossians. He says he is the visible image of God in human flesh. So we can look at Jesus and we can see what God should look like. He is the head of the church and he has reconciled everything to him. Now, not just people. I mean, you and I talk about being reconciled to God through what Christ has done on the cross. Paul goes further than that, and you'll understand that in a few minutes too. But he says God has reconciled everything through Christ's death on the cross. In other words, when, when Adam and Eve sinned, it wasn't just you and I that got off track. But all the created order, you remember Adam and Eve? Uh, the soil didn't produce and it had thorns and it had, you know, all these, these problems came up around our world. And Paul says to the Colossians, you need to understand that just because the fall of man came, that that doesn't make all matter and all, all material and everything that you can touch with your hands evil which is the heresy that was going around in the Colossian church, Paul says, no, Christ came and he not only redeems people, but he redeems things. And he redeems creation. And that is how come you and I can look towards the second coming and we can look forward to a new earth and a new heaven because God in Christ has redeemed not only people, but everything. And we can look forward to that day. Now, there's, there's two things that if you look at Colossians, it's really broke down into two categories, chapters 1 and 2 and chapters 3 and 4. And by the way, that's the way Paul wrote almost every one of his epistles. He would start out talking about doctrine, and then he would talk to you about, okay, if this is what you believe, then this is how you should live. That's exactly what he does here in Colossians. And the first point that he wants to make, the main point that he wants to make in chapters 1 and 2 in teaching proper doctrine is the fullness of God. Everything that you can find in God the Father can be found in the Lord Jesus Christ. So the fullness of God is in Christ. That's what chapters 1 and 2 says. And then in chapters 3 and 4, it is this. The fullness of Christ is to be found in us. And we are to walk worthy of Christ. The fullness of God is in Christ. And the fullness of God is to become part of us. If we are empty, 
Paul says there is a fullness that Christ can bring to our lives. Listen to these to these two verses from uh, Colossians chapter 2. This, this says it all. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Everything that God has is in Christ. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. Our world looks to be filled with all kinds of things. And we're searching for this and that and something else. And we want to find fulfillment in, in all these things. And Paul says, it is only in Christ that you and I can really be filled. We will never find fulfillment anywhere else. And then he says, he is head over every power and authority. Now, there are some uh, key verses uh, that will give you a feel this morning uh, for all the different chapters and for these themes that I brought out, and I just want to go over those with you. Uh, In chapter 1, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. See those two breakdowns? So that you, we ask God to fill you with the knowledge of God in Christ and of His will. And then we ask God that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way. It's interesting that He has those in the proper sequence. Because if we are not filled with Christ, there is no hope that we can ever live a life worthy of the Lord. Because you and I don't have that ability in us. (laughs) If Christ is filling us, we have more ability to honor Him and live a life pleasing before Him. And I better go on. I wasn't going to preach on these. (laughs) Chapter 1 and verse 15. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Him and for Him. Now, we, we, we know this, but we forget it. We know that God created the heavens and the earth. And we know that John chapter 1 tells us that in the beginning was God, and the Word was with God, and that nothing was created without Him. John chapter 1 verses 1 through 4 lays all that out, that Jesus was there, that Jesus was part of creating everything. But here you have another place where Paul says the same thing uh, here in Colossians. There wasn't anything that was ever created that Jesus wasn't involved in creating. The next text comes to us from chapter 2. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than Christ. That's going to be a key verse here in a few minutes where it talks about what had overtaken the Colossian church 
And there were two sources, human tradition and, and uh, uh, just a focus on the spiritual realm out there um, that wasn't of, of the Holy Spirit. And those two forces were very important um, uh, heresy elements in the church. And then Colossians chapter 3, this gives you a taste of what Paul's talking about, living a life worthily. And, and I'll tell you, that these verses we hear a lot in the church, are you, uh, you've all heard many sermons on this text alone. But you can't read it and not say, boy, I have some work to do. <laughs> I mean, just look at this. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And, and here's the last key verse that I want to share with you from Colossians. Be wise in the way that you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Now, there are some people that I want to introduce you to that are part of the whole Colossians thing. Um, one of them is not even referenced in the book, but very important to uh, Colossians and all of that, but I'll get to that. Epiphras is one of the people that you will run across in, in the book of Colossians. He grew up, he was a native of Colossae. And he had left there, he had gone uh, up north to Ephesus, about a 75-mile trip. Uh, re and remember, that is the days before vehicles and all of that. 75 miles was a, a quite a stretch. And he had gone down to Ephesus, which was a big center. And so while he was there, the Apostle Paul was there planting the church at Ephesus. And he, the Apostle Paul had led Epaphras to know Christ had changed his life, seen the transformation, and Epaphras decided to leave Ephesus and go back home and help plant the church in Colossae. And so he did that. He wasn't the pastor, he wasn't the church planter, but he went and he led a lot of people to Christ in Colossae and was one of the very key leaders of the church there. Another name from Colossae that you need to know is Philemon. And he was another person who was from Colossae, who had left Colossae, had gone down to Ephesus, and during those same two or three years that Paul was, the, um, was there planning the church there, he had led Philemon to Christ. And Philemon went back home, and Philemon was an important person in the city, Philemon went back home and he planted the church out of his own house. And so they, they met there. The church at uh, Colossae met at Philemon's home and all of that. And um, we believe uh, that Archippus was the pastor. We know Archippus was the pastor. We think Archippus was the son of Philemon. We don't know that, but we think that. Um, anyway, and um, so... That church is meeting in Philemon's home. 
Well, after six years of being there, and Paul's been gone from Ephesus, and Paul's in prison now, after six years of being at Colossae and being a key leader in this church, Epaphras starts to see heresy creeping into the church in pretty strong ways. And so he's very concerned. He's also concerned for Paul, his mentor and father in the faith. And when he finds out he's in prison, he wants to go and minister to him and serve him. And so he does that. He goes to Rome to minister to Paul and to report to Paul what was happening with the church there that he was so concerned about. And so he tells Paul about the dangerous heresies and teachings that the Colossians were hearing. Now, a last person that I want to introduce to you is Tychicus. Tychicus was another one of those guys that was a faithful servant of the Apostle Paul. Wherever Paul was, Tychicus would do anything for him, and he would help him. And he followed him from prison to prison, took care of his needs and those kind of things, and and all of that. Tychicus was sent by Paul to take this letter back to Colossae. But one of the other things that happened is, remember, Philemon was the leader of the church there. The church was out of his house, but Philemon had a slave called Onesimus. Now, you'd have to go to a different book of the Bible. You'd have to go to the book of Philemon to get this whole story. But Onesimus had run away. Now, don't equate the kind of slavery that was happening in Bible times here with the kind of slavery we had here in the United States, they, they don't equate, but, and I'm not going to take the time to explain all the differences and all of that, but still it was a form of servitude and all of that, and Onesimus had run away from his master. Paul gets a hold of him, <laughs> leads him to Christ, and then tells Onesimus that he needs to go back to his master Philemon. So, and that happens at the same time that um, Epaphras is there visiting Paul and telling him all the things that have happened in Colossae. So, Paul kills two birds with one stone. He sends Tychicus and he says, Now take Onesimus with you and make sure he goes with you all the way back. And then help them build a right relationship between master and slave and build that relationship so it's nice and firm. And he'd already written to Philemon and given him instructions on how he should treat Onesimus. And he'd talked to Onesimus about how he should respond to his master and all of that. He'd taken care of that, but he wanted Tychicus to kind of help in that relationship. And a lot of times in relationship issues, we just need somebody to come along and coach us a little bit. And so that's what Paul was doing here. He was sending Tychicus to do that. But the other thing Paul was doing was sending um, Tychicus back with this letter of Colossians that we have today in our Bibles. And he was supposed to take it back and he was supposed to help them understand what Paul was saying and then help them understand how to live it out. So he's supposed to help them figure out, okay, Paul doesn't want us to adopt and believe this so what is Paul really saying and helping them flesh that out and then help them to learn how to live out their Christian faith so those are the, the kind of the key people in this book of Colossians now I want to get to the purpose 
Paul writes this letter to call out the heretical teaching teachers that had come into the church. And like I said earlier, it came as a result of two different things. Part of it was from Judaism. Part of it was from um, Jewish legalism and asceticism. Now, both of those words, you know, can kind of make you mind numb. (laughs) So I'll just work with that a little bit. Legalism really focuses on rules. And so if I'm a legalistic person, I will start to think that I'm okay with God as long as I do this list of rules. And I will feel like I'm a failure spiritually and that God will not approve of me if somehow I slip off and I mess up on following one of the rules. And so everything in my spiritual life is all about whether I'm following the rules or not following the rules. That's what legalism is. Legalism is the attempt to gain your salvation by strictly following rules instead of developing and fostering a relationship with Jesus Christ. Where Jesus is the Lord of your life and you can be led by the Holy Spirit. You never want to get to the point, yes, there, there is a moral code Yes, there are rules and there are instructions that, that are given all the way through the Bible, but Paul never, ever indicates, no one ever indicates in the scriptures that any of those things will save you. They will help you live your life successfully, but they will not save you. The only thing you and I can count on, the only reason God will ever take us into heaven is not because we followed some rules. He will only take us into heaven because Jesus died on the cross for my sin and he died on the cross for your sin and he loves us that much. And I have responded, I have received, I have taken what God did on the cross and I've said, I've made that my own and I've handed my sin to Jesus on the cross and that is the only hope, friends, I ever have of getting to heaven It wouldn't matter how perfect I could become. None of that matters. I only follow rules and behaviors and all of that because it's beneficial for me. I follow my relationship with Jesus and I try to be led by the Holy Spirit. So anyway, um, I got to get back here. Legalism had crept into the church where it was all about rules. Secondly, asceticism is is related to that. It's not only living about rules, but it's about just cutting off anything in life that might be fun or enjoyable. (laughs) And so if you can just picture in your mind the ascetic monk who, you know, just, you know, doesn't have, you know, anything and, and he just eats, you know, beans three times a day and and you know there is no fun no enjoyment no luxury in his life whatsoever they avoid all physical and material indulgence or anything that might bring enjoyment to their life because somehow they have conce- they have decided that enjoyment is sinful 
And so there was this Jewish brand of legalism and asceticism that had crept into the Colossian church. Now, that was just part of it. Here's the other part that even is a little bit more mind-numbing is this, this word called Gnosticism. Let me break it down for you. Next time you hear it, you'll need it broke down again because I will. <laughs> but, but anyway, uh, we'll try as, as just part of, of understanding Colossians. Gnosticism is, was a Greek philosophy. And if you break it down, no, uh, the G is silent. No is the word from which we get knowledge in our English Bibles. So it was a philosophy that said you could really be in the know spiritually about things. And so it was a philosophy where people arrogantly claimed that they were the people in the know spiritually. They knew everything. But they weren't full of Christ. And friends, you and I have all seen people who are so full of spiritual knowledge, but they don't know Christ. They are not full of Christ. And that will always, always get us in trouble. These people, their goal in life was to be full of knowledge. They wanted to know everything. And they claimed to know stuff about things that they couldn't even know about. And Paul said, no, that's not the goal in life. The goal in the Christian life is to be full of Christ. Be very, very careful. And I know this is kind of a heady sermon this morning, and it's all full of knowledge. But be very, very careful that your spiritual life does, does not take on a path of which you get content because you know things that other people don't know. That doesn't mean squat to God. God wants you to be people who are full of the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, these people believed that everything material was evil. The chairs you're sitting on are evil. The body you live in is evil. They just believed that everything in the material universe was evil and that it could not be redeemed. Because they believed your body was evil, it didn't matter what you did with it. So they could do anything with their bodies and that was just fine as long as they knew this spiritual stuff out here. You could do anything with your body, didn't matter. They had no rules in terms of the body because it was evil anyway and there was no way to redeem it, no way to use it for good. Um, And Paul came back and he said, no, none of that is true. All creation was created good. And yes, it is marred by sin, but all created matter can be redeemed. And Paul believed that the body is to be brought under the control of Christ and under the control of the Holy Spirit. And today, we live in a culture that tells us that, you know, we can't really control ourselves. That's how come, you know, we, you know, we hand out condoms in schools and we do all this kind of stuff because we're just animals and we can't control ourselves and we can't bring ourselves under, under the submission of the Lord Jesus Christ and we can't do this and we can't do that because the body's hopeless, it's just evil. That really flows from this same 
type of philosophy. And Paul says, no, the body is to be redeemed. The body is to be used for good. And we are to use our bodies and we are to use the, the, you know, the ground and everything that we have in the universe. It is to be used for good and we are to redeem it as, as Christians. They also believed that the root of sin was found in the body and not the spirit. So when Adam and Eve sinned, that was just because they had bodies. They couldn't help it. Their bodies just reached out and took that apple. And it had nothing to do with sin coming from the Spirit. That sin of rebellion against God. I know better than God. And Paul says, no. It's not the body that causes you to sin. It's that spirit of rebellion in us that causes us to sin. It's not, you know, all the things out there that we, you know, possessions don't cause us to sin. It's the spirit of materialism that causes us to sin. So Paul always went back and he said, the root of sin is in our spirit. It is not in the body. It is not in flesh. It is not in all the things that you and I can touch. And all of that. Then following from that, if the body and everything created is evil, they also believe that Jesus was not divine, that he was not of God. So now you're beginning to picture why Jesus or why Paul is so firm to say that everything you find in God the Father could be found in the Lord Jesus Christ. He was saying, Jesus is God. And the Gnostics did not believe that at all. And you have to understand their logic. If the body is evil and there is no way to redeem the body and, and God comes down and takes a human body, that can't be God. <laughs> Can it? No. There's no way. But if you believe that the body was created by God and it is good, marred by sin, but it is good, then it can be redeemed. And God can come down, take human flesh, take on human flesh, and live without sin. And so Paul had to contrast that and say, no, there is a difference here. Um, Jesus is divine. And then the last thing that the Gnostics did is they really reverenced the spirit world. Now, I'm not talking here about the Holy Spirit or any of that. I'm talking about astrology. I'm talking about horoscopes. I'm talking about um, angelic spirits out there. Uh, I'm talking about <coughs> all of that kind of stuff. And that was big in Paul's day at Colossae. And, and so these Gnostics, they were always talking about that spirit world and, they, and all their knowledge of all of that. And Paul said, no, we don't reference those things. We don't honor those things. We don't buy into that. We don't go to the horoscope page to find out how my life is going to be today. Because we go to the Holy Spirit. And, and so Paul says we reverence the Holy Spirit and we reverence Christ 
And the Holy Spirit will always reverence and draw attention to Christ. Now, how do we uh, break down the structure? Funny thing is, when I practiced this, it didn't take near this long. Um, <laughs> but anyway, how do we break down this order? The Holy Spirit teaches truth to us with by doctrine, by reproof, and by correction. And reproof corrects um, our behavior and our practice. Correction corrects doctrine. And so if, if I, my thinking is wrong about God and what he expects of me, the scriptures come and correct me. But if my behavior is wrong, then the scripture comes and reproves me and challenges me that. And in Colossians chapter 1 and 2, you find correction. Um, that we may have the fullness of God. Colossians 3 and 4, that's where you have the reproof. Where God comes that we may walk worthy of Christ. Now I want you to see another breakdown. I don't have it up on the screen for you. But in chapter 1, the greatness of Christ is declared. In chapter 2, the greatness of Christ is defended. And in chapters 3 and 4, the greatness of Christ is displayed in you and in me. If we can, if we can declare and defend the greatness of Christ in our lives, pretty soon it's going to seep out and be displayed in our lives. So as I, as I close this morning, I simply want to say to you, I, I, I'm looking forward to Colossians. I, I'm looking forward to God help me develop this passion for Jesus. And I want to get to that place in my life where I'm really full of Christ. And I want to get to the place in my life where I'm full of Christ so that I begin to walk worthy of who this wonderful, great, preeminent, sovereign Christ is, who has everything God the Father has in him. And I'm led by the Holy Spirit. I just encourage you this morning to be people who choose to, step by step, follow Christ, not rules, not something else, but make Christ your focus.